Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliché. Before we get into today's episode though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where we are Not Your African Cliché, as well as SoundCloud, where we are NYAC Podcast. Don't forget to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, we are Not Your African Cliché, Twitter, at NYAC Podcast, and Instagram, NYAC underscore podcast. You can also email us at notyourafricancliche at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey guys, welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliche. My name is Onyeka, aka Yeka O, and on today's episode, we are joined by an amazing guest. But before she introduces herself, I'll let my co hosts tell you who they are. Hi, everyone, this is Ifeyua. Hey, people, it's Ife. Awesome, and Maya B will be in the building shortly. Um, so, with that said, amazing guest, do you want to tell people who you are, what you do, that type of thing? Yeah, definitely. First of all, thanks for having me. My name is Ashley Akuna. I am the host, creator, and executive producer of The Grapevine TV, an online talk show where we, where Black millennials discuss the issues that matter to us. Awesome. So just to kick it off, why did you create The Grapevine TV? Um, I created this show because I just really saw a lack of millennial conversation on NBC, CNN, NBC, Fox, there was just, you know, people in their 40s, 50s discussing a lot of issues, but there was no like 20 something year old perspective. And I felt like our perspective was really needed because I had just graduated into a recession in 2011 Mm. and everybody was talking about us, Mm. but nobody was talking to Mm. us. So I really felt like we needed to create our own kind of platform. Okay. So oftentimes, like when we, at least when I hear millennials being spoken about um you know Mm -hmm. people refer to millennials as being entitled privileged whiny um impulsive so what how would you guys describe millennials given that we are millennials ourselves i think it's funny they describe us as that and they forget to mention that they ruined the economy and they ruined so much for us (laughs) well um, (laughs) i would definitely say that we are the hustler generation like we know what it means to like work full time and go to school and have a nine to five and have our other like passion projects. So I, I would say we're definitely an ambitious generation. Mm. Okay. Ladies. Yeah, I agree with Ashley. I feel like all the people I know do something else in addition to their nine to five. You know, whether yeah. it's a podcast mm-hmm. or a YouTube show or a blog or photography thing there is yeah we do we do quite a bit and i'm thinking about how even now where our attention spans or the global attention span is even more limited with so many other things competing for our attention like the internet and shows and all of that all of those things and we still have we still find the time to do stuff and create stuff outside of our our core um, jobs and I would also describe millennials as 
more ex- I don't know. Is it right to say more accepting? I don't know. I don't know if that's an accurate mm. description. Mm. I mean, you could explain what you mean. Mm-hmm. I will say we are we're a little more open-minded than our parents. Mm. And we are mm-hmm. I think it, it might be a factor of us growing up in the digital age where there is more interconnectedness and we're able to interact with people from all over. Um, maybe that that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. allows us to be more open and and willing to learn different things. But I'd say that we are more, yeah, we're definitely more open. And I want to say, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm hesitant because I'm like, am I describing myself <laughs> or am I am I describing the language? Well, you know, are like, you? I want to I want to be careful not to be speaking as if I am the templates for millennials mm, so true, that's why i'm true. a little hesitant mm-hmm. when i'm when i'm saying this mm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and this is the thing that's one of the reasons why i bristle when i hear the term millennial mm. because it it because i'm much more comfortable saying like the youth <laughs> the <laughs> or the young people as opposed to like millennial because sometimes millennial has there's some, I don't know, there's some preconceived notions that come with the term millennial. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are you just trying to say the young people? Like, mm-hmm. are, and just using this word millennial and throwing it around because it's such a, it's like a catchphrase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all that to say, the complaints about millennials, I, w- I believe it's not anything new. Mm. For the longest yep. time, the older generation has always had an issue with the way the younger generation does things. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded, I just recently read um, Congressman John Lewis's uh, graphic novels, and he talked about how his parents, when he's, before he joined MLK and uh, joined SNCC, how his parents were like, uh-uh, we've already suffered enough. Like, why are you young people keep asking for more? Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, like, them not being on board with what the younger generations were asking for. Like, even within the civil rights movement, there were, like, different generational mm-hmm. um, Gaps, perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. So when people are now complaining about millennials, which sometimes the definition changes, but I think it's Maybe people in their twenties no. to early thirties. Twenties to thirty-four. Early thirties, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when people complain about the younger, you know, millennials, I'm like, is this? Are you just essentially doing what has always been done? Are you saying anything new? Right. Um, are you mm-hmm. taking into consideration the context and what the the, the uh, geographical and economical stage that this generation is going into? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's yeah what I have to say. Yeah. Um, um, ooh, also oh, have sorry. to say something else. <laughs> um, that the activity of millennials to since that's the phrase we're using, I think it's also rooted in that age. You're defining yourself mm. and trying to see what you believe in. And now that we have all these technological tools and social media platforms those processes are put on a bigger stage and to open to more critique and mm-hmm. um yeah that's what i was gonna add that's a that's mm-hmm. a good point um yeka over here and i think it's very interesting that you said that um because i came across uh time magazine from the summer of 1990 
Okay. And so they were doing a cover story about the next generation and the next generation here, they're referring to our parents' generation. Um, and so they were asking managers at the time, like what they thought of the next generation. And so some of the things they said was they were lazy, entitled, selfish, shallow, unambitious. Um, they have trouble making decisions and they would rather hike the Himalayas than climb a corporate ladder. Um, they crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as a zap of a TV dial. And it's like, is it is are these characteristics <laughs> that people um associate with millennials actually just characteristics of a generational gap because mm. the the older generation at the time just does not connect with the younger generation because like you said there are different things that are like influencing how people respond now so i mean our parents didn't have social media but we do mm-hmm. you know so like there's there mm-hmm. it's almost like a science experiment gone wrong in the sense of like you're having different um what you would call it, different influences and you're trying to measure the same thing. And it's like, that's actually not appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a thing of just like older people, just always having something to say about younger people. Mm-hmm. And even with the music, it's the same story. Like our music was better than right. what's going on now. Right. <laughs> so it might be, it might be a common thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in, in light of that, then how, how would you guys define the African millennial? Are there, traits that the african millennial has that i guess maybe other millennials might not i mean i don't know if they're traits i you know because like my show is really much about you know proclaiming that black people are not a monolith Mm -hmm. that we all have a variety of opinions and ways of looking at life so i really don't i really do think that we're all different but i will say that i do feel like a lot of african millennials are like breaking waves in new industries Mm. that we weren't really necessarily doing before. So like you'll see more African millennials in fashion and you'll see them in uh, tech and you'll see them in sports management and um, acting. So I think that is kind of a different thing that we haven't really seen before and it's super exciting. Um, But I do think African millennials are hustlers. Mm. I think that we are people who are out here grinding and we're looking to not only change our lives in the States or um, in the UK, but also looking to go home and change kind of the landscape over there. And when I say go home, obviously, I mean back to the continent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'd agree. Ife, Ife? This is Ife. I'd say that in addition to all of, all of the things Ashley said, I think African millennials are more intentional about connecting with their roots i would say i'm not again i hesitate Mm -hmm. because i'm like am i talking about my myself and the people in my circle or is this actually Mm -hmm. a trend Mm -hmm. a a trend right Mm -hmm. so take this with a grain of salt don't quote me my opinion all of that (laughs) jazz but i think that we are becoming more intentional about finding connecting with our heritage and people are interested in you know our traditional foods and clothing and trying to, you know, take it out of something that is, that we used to, that we used to feel shame about, or our parents used to feel shame about. And we are like, no, we're going to reclaim this. This belongs to us. Why shouldn't we be proud of this? So so for one thing I'll use for, for example, is um, my parents growing up, English was spoken at home. You know, Yoruba was also mm-hmm. spoken at home, but 
but English and Yoruba were spoken simultaneously, sometimes to the to the detriment of Yoruba. And that was mm. because my parents thought that, oh, we don't want our child to be bush. You know, in, in, we want our child to be able to speak crisp English. So we're not, we don't want to dilute it with Yoruba. And I don't think that would happen now. Like, like I feel like if we had the tools to speak Konk, Ijile, Yoruba, like I would speak only Yoruba to my children. You know, mm. if I had those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, those tools in my arsenal. So I think that is one defining trait of the African millennial or the African millennials I know. Or shall I say me, <laughs> if we want to mm-hmm. get more specific, <laughs> that we are mm-hmm. we're interested in preserving our culture and heritage. I would agree with that as well, definitely. I think it's, I think mm. it's, sorry, this is Amayo. I, I agree okay. with, hi, hi guys, sorry <laughs> I came late. Um, so I mean I, I think kind of like what Ife is saying in the sense that like she speak like she she's not sure if she's speaking for herself and she's trying to not generalize because I feel like even the term like millennial like when you default to that it's a huge generalization right because I feel like we're all so different I mean for like even like even saying African millennials I don't even know what's going on in Ghana <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so like to, to, I mean, the same way that Ife says that, okay, she's trying to claim her, like, go back to her roots. There are so many people who are like, bye, girl. Like, I'm not trying to go back to this. <laughs> like, I'm moving on. New society, new culture. Like, there are so many people mm-hmm. doing so many different things. So I feel like it's so hard for, like, I was trying to think, like, what, what do, like, what do we all have in common? Like, what do we have in common? And I'm just like, I've met so many people who are so different and who are doing so mm-hmm. many different things. People are like, I don't know. So I just, I feel like it's hard for me to just think of, okay, what's the uniting thing? And similar to what, kind of like what Onyeka was saying, like if that was said in that time article about our parents who seems to be so hardworking and so like <laughs> nose on the ground. Um, no, <laughs> because I mean, they're saying the same thing about us now. Maybe we will, mm. maybe we will, we will end up evolving into our parents, like being the same way and then saying the same thing about our children. Hopefully not. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is Fenua, and like everyone has said, the term African millennial is is it's hard to describe. Um, and keeping in mind that like, like Ashley said earlier that you know black people are not a monolith. The same thing with Africans not being a monolith. Mm-hmm. But that being mm-hmm. said, there are trends, um, mm-hmm. and I think one of them would be pushing back against what is typically done yeah, and yeah, come through. not mm-hmm. and questioning the way things are mm. being done. Do they have to be done the same way they've always been done? And mm. I believe that's mm-hmm. one of the, the things that emerge, you know, between the younger and older generations, the younger generations are like, do we have to keep doing things the same way it's always been done? And the other generation is mm-hmm. like, Yes. You have no respect. <laughs> um, respect your elders. So, yeah, things like that. Questioning the way politics is being done. Questioning who's in mm. power. Questioning our perspective on, like, sexuality. Pushing back on our parents' mm. ideology. Um, so there are similarities even amongst all millennials around the world, I would say. The difference mm-hmm. would just be in the specifics. 
um, and mm. the context. But usually there's a trend of the younger generation wanting to do things differently and not willing to accept what has always been accepted and saying, why do we have to stop there? Why can't we ask for more? Um, for mm. example, one mm-hmm. example is I know in the States, the conversation around like microaggression, and I believe Obama said something about comment made a comment about it that I, you know I believe people were like mm, you know that's 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 playing to like respectability politics and all of that but taking things like microaggression seriously the older generation would be like well we dealt with worse and then the younger yeah. generation is like mm-hmm. but do, just because you dealt with worse doesn't mean this is isn't bad and that doesn't mean we mm-hmm. have to accept uh-huh. it so there's always yeah, that exactly. tension of like what we don't have to keep accepting these things we can always ask for right. better um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i know that mm-hmm. there's also like some differences amongst african millennials like i remember interacting with someone who's based in kenya and we were talking about the story in the u.s you know the case the popular case about the bakers who didn't want to make the cake for the mm-hmm. the you gay know the couple. gay couple yeah. and she mm-hmm. was <laughs> she yeah. was operating from this perspective that <laughs> those of us in the states and americans and uh, american millennials we're so so concerned about political correctness and you know all of that and so you could just so in that instant there's this like just because we're both African and we're both millennial doesn't mean that we're on the same page about certain things so yeah definitely um, and then also the other thing about you know just younger generation in general they're more adaptable and more flexible um, mm. So even with new technology that's coming out, they're the ones easily picking those things up, <laughs> um, using mm. those new tools to, you know, to their advantage and whatnot. Um, yeah, so mm. that's what I would say. Um, Yeka, oh, and I've what I kind of thought of that question, I think one of the big things for me is that like a lot of millennials are hustlers and a lot of millennials are occupying the space of more entrepreneurial positions than wanting to work for certain corporations. Now, this is not everybody, um, of course, um, but I think a lot of millennials are very entrepreneurial. Um, a lot of them are able to access a level of creativity that I think our parents were not able to do as a result of maybe the circumstances around you know how they grew up or the fact that we have you know the digital age you know on our side mm-hmm. um and so in that in that vein i would say a lot of african millennials um or i should say nigerian millennials to some degree because that's who i interact <laughs> with the most um are very entrepreneurial and the reason why the entrepreneurial has a lot to do with survival it's like how how am i going to get the next bread because you know Things are had, you know, fuel prices are hiking up, you know. So a lot of people, I think, are being more entrepreneurial than I think they're trying to find a stable nine to five job. Um, and I think that's also very evident when you think about like all these people who go to like medical school or law school because their parents are like go and do all these things and then they end up actually pursuing their passions later, like you know, fashion or photography or that type of thing. So, yeah. This is the thing where I just want to uh, speak on behalf of somebody like my mother. Uh, since we're talking <laughs> entrepreneurial, my mom is a hustler. So I feel like I don't want no, to for like, sure. you know, I, I also want to like us to have this balanced conversation about, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. young people being hustlers. Because ah, if I look at my mom and like her sisters, like my mom sold everything that there is to sell under the sun in addition to the job that she had. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I and I and I, maybe that has to do with my economical upbringing but I mm-hmm. saw not just her but other people like 
I, there's this thing where, like, in Lagos in particular, people just come to your house. They're not really scheduling. They'll just drop in. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, but in that, in that, there's business that is going on. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, exactly. we're having fun, no, but, mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to convince you to, you know, tap into this business I have of selling cars, or, like, on the mm-hmm. side, in addition to stuff I already have. So, I do want to say that our parents are also hustlers. Yeah, they are. Yeah, no, I definitely I definitely think that they are hustlers. I'm just saying in re- so if if we're to compare maybe our parents at like 20 something or 30 something, like they definitely were into business and all that type of stuff, mm-hmm. but a lot of job security came from having a job in a particular corporation that you know, okay, when you retire, you'll have like pensions or benefits yeah, or that type of thing. Whereas like for our generation, like the job security is not in those type of positions. It's mm. in like you actually going out and hustling and figuring, making making that money, like because you mm. need to. I don't know. I, I um, feel like this. Like I feel like like just kind of like what if, like if Ewa just said. I'm just thinking about people's parents that I know, and I'm just like, maybe it's because maybe something like something about having children just makes you just. You know, you have to pay school fees, so you're out there looking for. <laughs> uh, school fees is a big deal, though. like it really True. makes you sit up. Like once you start having children, you're ready. You're out there looking for the next hustle. So I'm just thinking, like all my, like all these oh. people that I know, like other people have all these different businesses, selling cars, importing tires, this one, that one. I'm just like, ah, those people are real hustlers. Though. Like even my dad, like when he left his job, like his very secure job at a very young age. I mean. I don't know. It's very. I don't know. It's very interesting. Maybe because like, I, I think also depends on what we like. What how we define entrepreneurship too. I read an article about that recently. It's like okay, fine. It's entrepreneurship. Wait, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. This, this we got keeps you. Going. And then, okay, so is entrepreneurship like breaking boundaries, like new innovation, or is it just like starting your own business? That's. I don't know. Sorry, that, that's a huge tangent. But yeah, I think our parents yeah, definitely hustlers as well. But go on. This is Amaya. Okay. Um, so just going off of <laughs> going off of the whole millennial talk, do you think that and we've said that millennials are not a monolith. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, do you think that there are major or stark differences between millennials on the continent and millennials who are in the diaspora? I think there are. Hmm. I think say more. I'd say that there. Okay. I'd say millennials. Maybe not millennial. I don't even. This again. I'm very about using this Mm -hmm. large descriptor, but I'd say that there's this level of arrogance or confidence that is global, you know, and people more often than not. Uh, loud and wrong <laughs> when it comes to certain okay. things. Mm-hmm. Come through. So um. millennials on the continent are loud and wrong when it comes to like racial, like you know, racial disparities and talking about race. They don't have the range mm. yet. They will. Mm. I've, I've, I keep saying this, <laughs> and it's one of the things that it's vexes fine. me. You need the to most. say it for those who didn't hear it the first time. Abio, <laughs> Abi. So millennials on the continent, you in in homogeneous countries like Nigeria, Ghana, anywhere that is majority black and, you know, um, they don't have the range to discuss race and racial oppression. And they will be thinking that they are the templates for other people's lives or they'll be thinking that it's the same everywhere else and it's not the same. 
So, for example, when the mm-hmm. whole when the H and H and M thing started, um, mm-hmm. and people were like, "Oh, you know, is that I?" Every time people are calling racism, now every you know, every time I'm like, "Chill." <laughs> it's like somebody that from America said that every time people they talk about I don't know corruption or like that every time people they talk about. <laughs> eh, Fulani heads like you know something. I'm like you don't have the range for this conversation. So why don't you just fem and listen and learn? So I think that arrogance of thinking that you know when you actually have no clue is a common, common, common thing because I can see um, people on you know people in the diaspora too when maybe we're talking about effects of colonization or when we're talking about you know, like, I don't know, bad, bad governance or something. And yeah, so, yeah. So uh, before the break, I was asking you, Ashley, um, <laughs> so do you notice any difference um, between African millennials that are on your show and African-American millennials or even your viewers in the sense of the type of um, topics that you bring forward and the kind of perspectives that get shared on your show? Um, well, I definitely think there's like a cultural uh, difference in terms of how we view life and how we view um, certain topics. Um, definitely there is a difference, but I, I find more similarities because we are, most of us like, you know, grew up in America. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we're very Americanized and in a large sense, we're treated the same in the eyes of, you know, white people in the dominant, quote unquote, dominant society. Mm-hmm. So I feel like issues of like race, um, in the workplace, in school, they're very much, you know, similar. It's only when you kind of get down to the nitty of gritty of like, you know, how were you raised and like what kind of like, you know, things do your parents value in terms of like education or wanting you to get married at a certain age or wanting you to marry within a certain culture. So mm-hmm. I definitely see differences in familiar structures, but a lot of similarities when we get out into the real world. Okay, so with with regards to like people who are watching your show, I remember mm-hmm. that you put out a tweet a tweet about how uh, the Libyan conversation was like the least watched um, conversation that you had on the on the show. And so, do you mm-hmm. think that be- there are certain stories or certain um, millennial voices that people aren't trying to listen to? Um, I think that. What, what I was trying to say with the Libya conversation is because, you know, our, Bruno's, Mar, our Bruno Mars conversation trended. Mm-hmm. Like, that gained so much press and traction. Like, we were featured everywhere from, like, the Washington Post to Newsweek to Complex to Billboard. Um, we even made the Evening Standard in the UK. And what I was trying to say is that, like, a lot of people were, like, upset that we were, quote-unquote, attacking Bruno Mars when all we really did was have a conversation about whether or not he's a cultural appropriator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I made the tweet about Libya... I made that tweet because a lot of people were saying, as black people, we have bigger fish to fry. We have bigger Mm -hmm. issues than Bruno Mars. And I'm like, we talk about all of those issues every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Like, we talked about Libya last week, but you guys weren't paying attention. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I was trying to say is like, you know, the media really does shape what we pay attention Mm -hmm. to. And then Mm -hmm. everybody else just follows like sheeple. Mm -hmm. I hate to say it. No, but you're right. Yeah. And so what I was trying to say is that basically, like, we decide what trends. And I don't think people, people were so upset about the Bruno Mars conversation. I was just trying to remind them, like, you know, we, we decide what we pay attention to. um, Mm -hmm. And you didn't pay attention to Libya. So (laughs) whose fault is that? (laughs) It's not (laughs) ours, you know? So if I had a question about the viral, uh, 
weeks you've been having. I know. <laughs> so how how has the attention been and how are you like managing and how like what do you think is going to come out of the viral attention if anything? Well, the viral attention was definitely amazing. <laughs> it's like the biggest press that we've had thus mm-hmm. far. We were literally featured everywhere and just the fact that like Nothing happened with Bruno Mars, but we released this conversation and we got him to trend and we, we created, we made all these other people create content off of our content. It just really mm-hmm. spoke to the fact that like we have a, a really large impact and we have um, a stamp in this space where we can say like, listen, this is what the conversation is going to be and people can follow suit. That feels pretty fucking powerful and amazing Mm -hmm. so i'm happy about that and i really do think like now we have like a lot more eyes on us a lot more people are paying attention um a lot more people know our name and i just really think that it's only up from here um yeah i'm super excited about the growth of this show and and where we're going to go yeah this is ifeyua and speaking of the growth of this show just for those Mm -hmm. who don't know um for how many years has the grapevine been running um what was the process of starting the grapevine and how has the show grown over the years because i know from the first episode to the latest episode a the number of people who are present in the room have exponentially Mm -hmm. increased increased. (laughs) um you know the first episode miss a shoot anymore you know yeah so so, i mean you know and then in the first episode seeing you know a filmmaker seeing somebody's fashion design somebody who's a writer like those different uh i guess professions represented and how that's shifted out it made me wonder like because you talked about casting earlier um how Mm -hmm. you cast for people to be on the episode so just talking about all of that for those who don't know yeah, so I came up, I'll, I'll make it as quick as possible because it's, it's a long story, but for those who don't know, I, I came up with the idea for this show in 2011 when I was a senior in college, and I shot a pilot in 2013, then another, actually I shot a pilot in 2012, another pilot in 2013, and then we started, started shooting consistently in 2014. Mm-hmm. So we've been, we've been shooting the show since 2014, it's now 2018, um, and yeah, it's definitely been a process of like, false starts and like not having money to continue Mm. Um, but we've definitely reached a place where we're you know we're consistently shooting and we're very very happy about that Mm. Um, I'm sorry what were some of the other questions oh the number of people and then how you cast and oh yeah definitely so we always want to have as many voices at the table as possible sometimes it gets a little rowdy (laughs) but we want we want it to feel like everybody has a seat at the table that there's someone on the panel who's representing your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really like, I cast with the help of my producers and we just figure out a topic. We kind of know the personalities really well by now. So we know who will be good with other people who would like, mm. you know, to make sure the conversation is not an echo chamber and make sure it's not boring. We just always have people on different sides of the of the topic to represent their mm-hmm. viewpoint. Mm-hmm. So what made you yeah. switch from like, you know, having three people to having however many people there are right now? Well, when we first started, nobody knew us mm-hmm. and we, we don't pay our panelists and, you know, we didn't really have a name. So we were kind of just going on like, can you please come? Can you please show up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the times where we had like three people on the panel, there really were supposed to be like eight people, but people canceled, people were late mm-hmm. and we still had to shoot. So now, you know, 
everybody is available everybody <laughs> wants to be on like we don't have that issue <laughs> we don't have that issue anymore that's why the panel looks more full mm. you know mm. yeah this is Ife so I have a question about you you mentioned having as many viewpoints as possible and making sure that as many viewpoints are represented but I think that okay how do you balance that with with um with not giving room because really for example now flat earthers mm-hmm. i believe have no place in mainstream discussion like why are you why are you like at a at a science fair or whatever i don't think that you should be giving <laughs> flat earthers room to spout their conspiracy theories about the about the earth being flat when it has been disproven <laughs> That the earth mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, the earth is not flat. It is round. This is like how many old, how many centuries old <laughs> science now at this mm-hmm. point. So how do you balance mm-hmm. having diverse voices with like, with discretion of like, you don't want nonsense <laughs> in terms of like hoteps and, you know, people that actively, mm-hmm. when their opinions are actively like denigrating other people. So when there are people who I are mean, like, you know, um denigrating lgbtq people and saying oh you know the problem with the black community is that the gays and the feminism and gays are you know that's Mm -hmm. the problem so like how i mean we've we've had those people we've had those people on the panel i think for me like a big reason why i started this show is because i didn't like what i saw on black twitter i didn't like call out culture i didn't like dragging culture i didn't like like shut this person down so they're forever like dead they have no like i just didn't like that there was never any like communication and so I always wanted Mm. to like because I have friends who think a lot of different things I have friends I have friends who have a lot of interesting views and I just don't think it's interesting to hear every like a conversation where people agree with you all the time I think that's very boring Mm. I think that doesn't challenge you I think that doesn't make you Mm -hmm. grow I also Mm -hmm. think that you know it doesn't really help society as a whole I have seen so many people who've had who've gone into the show with one view and they've their view has changed. It's happened to me several times. And I feel like it can only happen because we've created this space to have this conversation. And I, I do, I don't think everybody should have this conversation. I believe in self-care and I feel like if certain conversations are too hard to have, don't watch the show, you know, don't, don't be on the panel. But I do think that there's value in like having like rough, raw <laughs> conversations because I think that it it um if you don't it hinders growth and um you don't push forward as a society so while we do you know respect everybody on the panel and our panelists respect each other very much <laughs> you know we're all friends outside of this i think you know we all understand that we're coming together to really kind of like pull back the layers of what we think is right mm-hmm. and um my producer's husband always says something he's an atheist and he always says you know i don't believe in god but like i could be wrong mm-hmm. i could be right and like he mm-hmm. kind of just like stands in that space where he doesn't like condemn anybody because he could be he could be wrong. So I kind of like take that viewpoint with a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I have <laughs> I, I I have a lot of thoughts about this because I'm I think there's some conversations that we we are comfortable having room for because we're mm-hmm. not directly implicated in the in the like 
I don't know, bullshit or like we're not direct. So for example, now, um, people who say, oh, I'm all for free, like free speech. I don't like, I'll defend a Nazi's right to, to mm-hmm. spout Nazism, you know, and, and advocate mm-hmm. for ethnic cleansing. Um, and I think that is, I don't, I don't agree with such stances because like, it's not only speech it's like speech, ideology, action, I mean, ideology, speech, actions, you know, it's not, a, mm-hmm. so who are we consciously or unconsciously validating by having certain viewpoint? I don't know. I, I, is what I'm saying making sense? I no, kind I of, understand what you're saying. You yeah. kind of feel like yeah. I'm going on a rambly tangent, but like, how do you balance that thing of, yes, we want to be inclusive, but also we want to make sure that the most vulnerable of peoples aren't being further marginalized by this conversation we're having yeah like i i feel like we've had all types of voice and i understand your question i feel like we've had all types of voices represented on the show but i definitely like you know before we start the show we let everybody know like hey like we're a family you know you have to respect the people on the panel off on and off the panel so you know i do a very thorough vetting process i talk to everybody before they're on the panel Google Hangout, phone calls, you know, so that I make sure. And, like, everybody on the panel kind of, like, knows what to expect in terms of, like, when they sit down, what's going to happen. So we've never had anything crazy. Yeah, we almost had a fight Mm. on the show. (laughs) But, like, there's a thorough vetting process. And we've never – it's been pretty successful. Like, we've had some harsh conversations, but there's Mm. never been anything at the end of the conversation where it's, like, I don't fuck with you. I can't talk to you. Yeah. You know, so like, my, so, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> so my question is, this not, is your last question. Yes, yes, yes. So my question <laughs> is not like more for how the people in the conversation are feeling. Like, yes, I, you know, I hope that people don't come to blows and people are still friends after. But I'm also thinking about the people who are listening and are hearing um, some certain biases be validated or are hearing some certain hurtful things be regurgitated and so do you have spread. specific examples do you have a specific examples that you want to um, reference so i think there was this episode about like lgbtq people and um yeah never mind <laughs> never mind the specific examples but i don't know i mean do, do you have any or is you know is there I something do, but I can't, that happened i can't like put it in I don't have like the exact like people and stuff so I don't want to like speak out of turn so like never mind it's it's okay so ultimately what I feel like I'm I'm getting is the fact that like there there everyone has is entitled to a certain opinion Mm -hmm. right and what I think what Ifair is coming from is that you can have an opinion but she doesn't feel like certain opinions need to be amplified because they are detrimental to a larger group of people Mm -hmm. which i think in in the reality of things i feel like when i watch the grapevine this is my thought and i could be wrong i feel like when people come to the show like they have opinions and they have thoughts and perspectives um but they also come with the understanding that like their perspective is not the only one that exists. And so it's more of like a learning experience. That's mm-hmm. how I interpret what's happening on the grapevine. And I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, like the show is not for you to kind of just like stand on the platform and 
yeah. and spout like whatever you want to spout. We always kind of like have like a, uh, a frame of reference in terms of what we're talking about. So say something like, you know, Chimamanda said, you know, trans women and cis women have different experiences. Mm-hmm. That's the framing. That's like the what frames the conversation. And then we go from there. So it's never like you're never going to come on the show and be like, all gay people need to die. Mm. <laughs> like, that's mm. never going to be the case. <laughs> right. You know, it's kind of like um, discussing what someone said or, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers the question. That's that's fair. Um, Yeka, over here. And so because we have and we see the importance of having millennial voices being represented, at what point did you decide that, okay, the grapevine is a great idea. We've put in all of work, but we need to you know, be open to crowdfunding, crowdsourcing. Um, at what point did you get to when you were like, you know, I'm just, we're, do, we're open to donations. Please help us. Um, <laughs> I think from day one, because okay. I, I fund this show completely myself and I have like a nine to five job. I work in tech. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's definitely a balancing act with trying to like, you know, live your life and do what you want to do and having responsibilities and then also having a project that you want to take from, you know, your mind to the the public stage, you know, so to say. So we're always accepting donations. I think we knew early on that we were going to need money, even now more than ever, because we want to expand or expand into, into the UK mm-hmm. in May. We want to go to LA. We want to go to the South. We want to go to Paris. So we definitely knew that um, there would be a time where we would need to raise, like, a lot more money. Mm-hmm than just what Ashley brings <laughs> to the table. That's real. Yeah, because I mean, I think that that's a, a huge thing. Like, very often, like, having to ask people for donations is, like, one level of pride that's, like, you know, no... down the drain. But yeah, oh, yeah. Ultimately, you see that. Yeah, yeah. Like, Everybody. in the grand scheme of things, yeah. <laughs> you see, you know, the benefit of what it is that you're doing. Especially um, working anybody... in tech, I've seen, like, you know, people ask mm. for millions of dollars yeah. and there's no shame mm-hmm. in their game mm-hmm. so it's, it's very interesting to no see here. Mm. um does anybody else have any questions for ashley in particular about the grapevine yes <laughs> this is if anyone okay. and i was wondering why the platform of youtube slash video um mm. as opposed to say a podcast or um i don't really know what yeah. other forms they are but it was just i'm just curious about the choice. Well, I went to um, I went to film school, so I knew that like I had to utilize what I learned in school. Mm. Um, and I just think there had never and podcasts weren't really big mm. in 2011. Mm. Mm. They started like becoming big like over the last couple of years. But um, yeah, like I wanted to utilize everything that I had uh, learned in school. I had a lot of friends who were like, you know, cinematographers, um, people who worked in sound. So definitely wanted to provide jobs for people and it's just something about film like I like seeing what's going on like I love podcasts I think they're cool Mm -hmm. they're great to listen to but I don't know digital media is always going to be like my number one source Mm -hmm. yeah in terms of like creativity Mm -hmm. okay yeah um so you have really strong characters um on your show 
So definitely Siren, definitely Carl. Oh my God, Carl. Yes. Um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> yeah, you have people with with really strong opinions who are very direct. Uchechi, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you navigate? Because you know there are times where I'm like, if I was Ashley right now, mm-hmm. like, why are you talking over each other? Can you let her direct the conversation? It's fucking hot. <laughs> I'm sorry, I curse a lot. <laughs> Please tell, tell us all the feels. How do you go about navigating these different characters and getting people to just it's it's listen. it's hard because everybody's really passionate and that's what I love mm-hmm. about the panelists on the show is that you know people come with a lot of research they come with a lot of fact based uh, you know uh, articles and etc and I just feel like everybody comes to the table you know being really really passionate about how they view things and I love that about the show at the same token it's very hard. Um, when somebody's going on a tangent, um, I definitely tell everybody in the beginning, I don't want essays. I don't want soliloquies. I don't need a <laughs> dissertation, you know, say your point and keep it moving. But, um, I think we're going to have to employ some type of like gavel or mm. whistle. Talking stick. <laughs> you know, yeah. Everybody, someone, somebody's holding the object, they get to talk because mm-hmm. it's crazy. You would think that people who are over. Everybody's over 25 <laughs> would get it, but um, it's definitely difficult. But yeah, we're going to try some new strategies moving forward, definitely. Okay. If they are listening, I love you guys. <laughs> you guys get on my nerves. No, I definitely hear that because I think for me, like, I love the show. I've been listening to uh, watching it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but my biggest thing is like, okay, like, I get that you're passionate, but can mm-hmm. they finish their statement mm-hmm. uh, before you, you know, chew I think everybody off? thinks once they get to the show that they're going to behave and then mm-hmm. they get on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they don't behave. So, yeah, right. we definitely get a lot of complaints about that and we're working on that. And, you know, I've straight up told people, like, we're going to have less people on the panel moving mm-hmm. forward because you guys can't follow the rules, so... Well, I was going to uh-huh. say that because I, I can imagine where there's like 20 people and everybody's passionate and they're like, I got to get my voice heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so that mm-hmm. leads to somebody wanting to like quickly say what's on their heart before people forget about him. People get to talk and they'll be like, oh, you know, Donovan said something like 30 minutes ago that I want to address. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Taking us <laughs> so back. <it's> like... <laughs> It's one of those things, but it's great. It's yeah. great to see like black people just really passionate about different things. Mm. That's awesome. Um, so I know that you, you kind of have to go. What is the future for the grapevine um, in the next coming months, years? I mean, you talked about expanding. Yeah. So the goal is world domination. No, just kidding. Okay, um, all right. What are <laughs> but you? Yeah, we're just... <laughs> <laughs> Not really, low key. You know, exactly. Um, you know, we're, we're going to the UK in May and we plan on being a fixture there. Mm. Um, we're doing a lot of college tours this year. So we're going to um, Temple and Yale and doing like live events there mm. and also shooting panels there with like students nice. to talk nice. about like what their, because kind of like our college series to talk about what their experiences are on campus. Mm-hmm. But we definitely see some, the grapevine being a staple in terms of like millennial conversation, even when we're not millennials, like Gen Z they're next mm, you know they yeah. they did the whole march yesterday with like the gun mm-hmm. you know gun regulations Violence, so like yeah. we definitely see the show being a staple um for years to come and we definitely want to be on like an hbo <laughs> or netflix so that's 
really where we want to go. For me professionally, um, I want to get back into film. I write a lot directing. So once I see the grapevine to the point where I know it can be, I'll move back into the film world. So, yeah. Mm, awesome. Okay. Well, if you ever were to end up with the grapevine in Lagos and mm. the ladies are still in Lagos, uh, please feel free to reach yeah, out. We're because... actually trying to do that in December. We're trying oh, to go to Nigeria in December. All right, all right. I don't yeah. know what the conversations would be around in Nigeria, but uh, we're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people um, kind of see the grapevine. I don't know the amount of work it goes into making the grapevine. Can you give us an idea? Mm. Because us as like, our mm. thing is just Consumers. audio yeah. editing and it takes people don't believe how long it takes so can you t- can you walk mm-hmm. us through like your you know before pr- uh, pre-production production post-production yeah so pre-production is a lot of interviewing um well pre-production, pre-production first is figuring out the topics figuring out you know what type of people we need for the topics interviewing those people um you know sending out like a uh, casting call sending out email confirmations in terms of like when we're shooting, et cetera, and then hiring the crew, hiring the catering. Then we get on set and we shoot like six episodes in one day. And then post-production is all the editing, sound, and video. So it takes a lot. Mm. <laughs> it takes a lot. And then even after you shoot, you release the episode, you have to promote the episode, et cetera. So it is like another... I think I have two full-time jobs. <laughs> I bet. That's why I drink coffee a lot. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. It's a lot yes. of work, yeah. But, but it's rewarding. Grease, yeah, more grease to your elbows. Like I think yeah, I remember yeah, somebody sure. saying on Twitter that to a lot of people on Twitter that watch the grapevine, they're like, y'all better remember that it's a black woman who's behind the show. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. I was, Some people were spreading rumors that I don't own the show, etc. Some crazy shit, but... It's me. I own the show. <laughs> and then I have the help of like two amazing producers, Donovan and Amanda, who help they really, really helped me. As I talk to you, I'm sitting in Donovan's apartment and we're going through like 400 emails for casting in the UK. So mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's a lot. Get it, girl. Yeah. Just keep sprinkling that black girl magic all over the interwebs. I'm trying. <laughs> we're I'm watching. Trying. Thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate all of the support. And I'm really sorry about the, the internet connection. No problem. No, it ain't, it ain't Thank you. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, before we round up, we usually just talk about what we're listening to, what we're watching, or what we're reading. So, Ashley, are you in between your many jobs? Are you <laughs> watching, reading, or listening to anything in particular? I am reading Black Skin, White Mask by Franz Fanon, which is a really, really great book by um, a Mar- he. Well, he's he's passed away, like I think in the '60s, but he was a revolutionary for the Algerian. Um, civil war, not civil war, um, the independence from France, and he was a psychiatrist, and he talked a lot about what it means to be a black person under colonization and the many masks we put on to kind of like assimilate into white society. So it's a really eye-opening book. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also watching Ozark on Netflix, which is really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ladies watched that, but um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And I'm listening to a singer by the name of Ray Black. She's actually from the UK, Nigerian yeah. girl. I really like her stuff. So that's what I'm getting into recently. That's amazing. Nice. Yeah. Ladies? 
Uh, this is Ifeiwa, and I just saw, finally, after months of procrastination, um, I finally saw Mudbound, um, mm. which oh, okay. is on Netflix, and it was directed by Dee Reese. Um, a very, very visually stunning movie, amazing plot, so many layers. Um, it follows this um, black and white family who is sharing this land um, in the South, and one the black family's son goes to um joins the army you know during the era of like world war Two, and then the white family one of the brothers goes to war as well and then follows like kind of parallels those their lives and also the two people who went off to war like their lives when they mm-hmm. came back and it's a very compelling story it's an it was it's like a based on the adaptation of a book, Mudbound, by Hilary Jordan. Um, I really recommend it. Um, and I'm listening to this group, Young Fathers. Um, yeah. Apparently, they're this Afro-Scottish band. And I was like, damn, the diaspora is... <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> Why? I was, like, cool. I was like, yeah, there are black people in, the, in Scotland. <laughs> um, so, yeah, their sound is pretty unique. Uh, in my view, is a song I'm, I've been, like, having on repeats. So, yeah. I will definitely check them out. Mm-hmm. Dope. This is Ife. I am currently reading What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky. Leslie... Hmm. Neka Arima's <laughs> collection of short stories, and I love it so much. I I'm only mm. a couple of stories in, but I want full books from every story. It, it they all pack a punch mm. so far, and my favorite so far is the one about a father daughter relationship. It is it is a good book. Mm-hmm. It's a really good book. I haven't. I've been watching Grownish. I just started watching Grownish last night, and I'm intrigued. I mm-hmm. like it. I like it. But I do see the criticism about like, don't dark skinned people go to university? <laughs> go to that university. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, but yep, yep, I, I'm, yep. I'm digging it, and I am listening to Mi's new album. Mi has a new album, and hmm. it's like more hip hop than. I'm used like I'm is more hip hop than I'm used to from a Nigerian <laughs> musician. Mm. Like his last album was like a mix of like there was a more obvious Nigerian sound I'd say. So mm-hmm. I'd mm-hmm. say this one is like very more it's more is more hip hop sounding. I don't know how to phrase mm. it. But um yeah. That's that's it for me. Maybe I'm watching um, is, am I reading anything? No, I'm not reading anything. Okay, yeah, I'm watching um some YouTube <laughs> shows. Um, currently finished watching Rumor Has It, which is on Indani TV. I also watched season mm. one of Inspector K, which is also another Nigerian show on Indani TV. Um, but yeah, it just came up. For- for air and I've used all my data on my other phone so now I'm going back <laughs> I'm going oh, back okay. to not watching TV and TV. <laughs> so yeah that's pretty much how my cycle runs 
Okay. Um, and then Yeka O have been studying, but thank God it's over. We bless the Lord. Um, but I'm listening, however, to this guy called Vuzinova, who is a South African R&B singer. Now, I do not know what this man is singing, but I have never heard a click sound so amazing in my entire human existence as Ooh. when he sings in clicks. Like, I'm just like, Click some more, please. Just like, just keep mm. clicking. Um, so yeah, listening to Vizinova, the song in particular mm. I'm listening listening to is Tandiwe, and I, I think it means love. Um, and I'm also listening to Shaun Kuti's Black Times. Um, I'm just a fan, man. Huge, huge fan of the Kuti family. They're just so talented. Um, and my favorite right now is <laughs> Kuku Kill Me. So yeah. With that said, <laughs> thank you so much, Ashley, for being on the show. We appreciate you and the work that you're doing on the grapevine. Thanks so um, much for inviting me. I really appreciate it, ladies. Thank you so absolutely. much. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we can do yes. it again. Yes. Yeah. Girl, we will take you up on it. You said it here, guys. You yes. heard her on the show <laughs> we'll, we'll send you out another invite and hopefully all the elements come together yeah, definitely um, but thank you guys for listening make sure you follow us on all our social media handles and you interact with us on the twitter um, with that have a great rest of your week guys bye, bye.